Welcome to Still Scared Talking Children's Horror, a podcast about creepy, spooky and disturbing children's books, films and TV. I'm Red Wednesday, my co-host is Adam Wybray, and today we're talking about two books by Anna Fine, The Tulip Touch and The Devil Walks. And because a lot of you probably listen to this podcast as a fairly easygoing distraction, I'm going to put a content warning at the top here that this is a more serious discussion than most of our episodes and does include a discussion of child abuse and child murder. Um, So if you're not in the mood um, or not feeling up to it, feel free to skip this one. Um, I think it is a good episode and um, we talk a lot about interesting themes, but just a warning so you can make the choice that's right for you. Okay, and without further ado, enjoy. Good morning, Adam. Good morning, Ren. Hello, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. It feels like emerging from a horrible, mucky swamp uh, into a slightly dismal wood, uh, but <laughs> it's, it's nicer than the swamp. Yeah, yeah. You know, suddenly the leaf mould and lichen just seems friendly. And, yeah, uh, it's fine. You know, it's it's fine. It can deal with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cool. Um. So, I think I think for once we're actually talking about what we said we would in the last episode. Oh, um, what? Oh, people will be really disappointed. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, which is um, the Tulip Touch uh, by Anne Fine uh, from 1996, and sort of supplementarily. Uh, the Devil Walks, also by Anne Fine from uh, 2011. Um, yeah, I think as we just uh, remembered, <laughs> remembered the existence of the Tulip Touch at the end of last episode. Mm. Like, oh, we have to do that. Oh, yeah, it, it does blip into my mind every few years. Yeah, so um, Anne Fine uh, is a very, very prolific English uh, children's book author um, uh, who wrote uh, a lot of books that a lot of kids in Britain uh, read <laughs> particularly flower babies um that one's about um a boy who has to look after a, a little flower baby um as a sort of parenting project it gets chucked into the canal i know it's awful yeah like you really grow attached <laughs> to this sack of flower and yeah, then, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, booted right into the canal <laughs> yeah yeah um uh and uh, Mrs. Doubtfire, <laughs> she wrote as well, oh, of um, <laughs> which um, wasn't actually one of my favourites. I think because I'd watched the film, and uh, the book is the book's very different, really, and uh, mm. it always felt a little sort of small and dowdy in English in comparison <laughs> to uh, the, the Robin Williams production of, uh, you know, yeah, uh, more wacky antics. Mm-hmm. Um, 
yeah, Anfine tends towards these quite kind of small domestic, um, but vaguely troublesome or troubling. Like, mm-hmm. even with these n- obviously non-horror books like Flower Babies or Bill's New Frock, there are often these mm-hmm. the moments of disquiet or she likes dealing in slightly uncomfortable emotions. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're pretty, like, they're pretty down-to-earth. They're, they're quite sharp um, and quite have, um, have pointy bits to them. <laughs> yeah, that's a good description. And yeah, a lot of them were were favourites of mine when I was young. I, I loved Flower Babies and Bill's New Frock made quite an impression on me um, mm. as well, which is about a boy who wakes up and is he wearing a frock when he wakes up or is it just like that's what's in his wardrobe and he sort of is obliged yeah. on some level to wear it and then is so yeah, and, and then he looks in the girl. mirror. Yeah, he looks in the mirror and he sees uh, he sees like himself as a girl and everyone treats him as a girl mm. yeah um yeah yeah and it's um it's one of, it's one of those things that it's not a trans story but it sort of feels like a trans story in a way definitely a lot of it's sort of about i guess socialization and kind of sexist assumptions that are made in the schooling system like yeah girls should have smart handwriting and boys have messy handwriting and stuff like that yeah yeah um yeah, um, there's also Crummy Mummy and Me, which uh, I that's one I liked. Uh, Goggle Eyes. Oh yeah, um, I don't know if I ever read that one or not. Um, that that was good. It was about um, like about like a kid who's um, who's like mum like gets a new boyfriend and like she hates him basically, <laughs> but uh, it kind of comes to her. If not like him, at least accept him eventually by the end. Um, and uh, how to write really badly. <laughs> oh, that's a <laughs> great title. One of my favourites, um, which is um, which is about uh, the class have an assignment to to do a how to book, and um, and the the protagonist is like, oh, I can't, I can't do anything. Yeah, you know, I'm rubbish at everything, and like, and then like. It was like, well, you know, there's one thing you're good at. <laughs> <It's> like writing, <laughs> writing really badly. So <laughs> he does this in yeah, how-to book about. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that was really fun. I really liked that one. Um, yeah. So as a kind of, sort of overview of the kind of books that she usually writes, um, and they're not usually like the Tulip Touch. <laughs> um, no, no, the Tulip Touch is her cursed book. <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> it really is it's it has a very different atmosphere to the rest of her books it's very unsettling um it's one of those books that i didn't want to have too close to my mm. bed <laughs> yeah know? absolutely like for me it was alongside roald dahl's the witches as mm. being a book by an author i really loved and generally felt pretty safe with um, mm. But this one was different, you know, had a different yeah. aura. And yeah, I think I literally had it at the far end of my bedroom. Yeah. <laughs> so. Near the door, so it could be thrown out <laughs> if need be. Yeah. Yeah. What, what did you, I'm curious, like, what did, what do you, did you remember of it before you, re, you reread it um, for this? I remember the games. 
Hmm. Um, some of those titles came back to me, like Stinking Mackerel, for instance. Hmm. These are strange ritualistic games that they play. I remember being scared of Tulip. Um, mm-hmm. I remember the cover I had with the eye and the flame yeah. in the eye. Yeah. And I remember, probably unfairly, because he, he wasn't all that bad, but relating the you know, I very much had one friend at school, um, one friend who didn't play football, uh, Stuart, and he was sort of my tulip. I don't want to over-exaggerate that. Um, I don't think he had nearly as, uh, you know, troubled or, or deprived or upsetting a background. And he certainly wasn't wasn't cruel in the way Tulip was, but he had a tendency to make up a lot of odd, tall tales and lies, which I kind of knew were lies, but went along with. Um, mm. And... Yeah, odd games, which I think I've mentioned before. Like I remember playing this this game where he sort of half pretended, half really did tie me to a chair of skipping ropes. In we had this little store um, shed, I guess, um, on the playing field, just like the toy shed, basically. Mm. And I remember he did this, and I sort of sat there and then put a a, st- a stick, a small branch across the door as though I was locked in there. And I wasn't really. And kids would sort of come in and sort of, you know, give me a sort of curious look or say, oh, you're right. And I was just like, oh, yeah, yeah. And yeah, <laughs> yeah that odd liminal space where it was like, it was kind of a game and kind of not. And it was kind of bullying, but kind of not. Because on some level, I was a willing participant. <laughs> um, But yeah, just sort of odd kind of semi-imaginary power play and essay tall tales like you know just making up malarkey like claiming that he 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 played in these championships of bicycle football and <laughs> that he was like a county-wide champion and that, you know of course i should know about bike football how could i not <laughs> um and yeah, so some of some of Tulip's tall tales and lies, the claims she makes, kind of rang home for me. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I definitely remember having that association when I read it and associating Tulip with Stuart, and mm. but finding Tulip much scarier, and you know this idea of how things could escalate. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, how, how about you? What, what's your memories of the book? I mean, pretty vague. I also I remember the cover. Um, I remember being scared of tulip <laughs> um, and i remember i i remember the um her being in a field <laughs> i remember the image of her in a field which is actually where you first meet tulip in the book but i, I don't know i had that image for some reason but yeah pretty light on on details just uh atmosphere mostly that's <laughs> um, what i remembered um um but it's it's definitely yeah, it's de- it's very different reading it as an adult. That's that yeah, like <laughs> as as a child, it reads like a horror story with Tulip as the monster. Yeah, as an adult, it's deeply sad. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's a very it's 
it's still a very distressing book, but in very different ways. Yeah, yeah. Um, and like, I don't, I want, I don't, I want, um, I wonder how much of that I picked up as a kid. Like, I, I sort of, I wonder how, I don't know, I don't know if it just all went over my head, but I don't, I sort of wonder if part of the, the atmosphere, like the disturbing atmosphere of it is about like sort of what it says about our society, you know? Um, I definitely think it is, but I feel like a lot of that went over my head. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's basically, it's a, it's a pretty like unflinching sort of exploration of the kind of situation of a kid who's being abused and has no adults willing or able to protect her. And, and like, I think the thing is like, unlike in another kind of children's book, Tulip doesn't get like miraculously rescued or transported to a magical realm or something. She just grows up into an increasingly troubled teenager um, and alienates everyone around her with her yeah. behaviour, uh, which is a pretty dark direction for a children's book to take. Oh yeah, and I, um, I found um, a newspaper article. Um, about the Carnegie winners of that year, and this came out the same year as Junk. Have you ever read that? Oh, I loved Junk as a kid. I absolutely loved that book. Yeah. I learned so much about it. I learned about heroin. I learned about sex work. Um, it was great. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, a very popular book. You know, I read it, and it made a big impression on me, uh, probably around mm. the same age. Right? But mm. it was definitely a book that a lot of Adults and parents and educators weren't very happy about. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> yeah. Um, um. And yeah, it was interesting because I found this article about the Carnegie winners and nominees of that year, the Children's Book Awards. Mm. And it's a very dark selection around, you know, drug addiction and bullying and abuse. And. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting because I think it's easy to think of the 90s as this sort of period of kids' fantasy, right? And I forget that there was this real trend towards the kind of gritty social realism for young adult readers. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, you know, that's, that's not necessarily what you might have expected Fran Fine at the time. You know, there are hints of that in Flower Babies, but yeah, she'd never never written anything this dark before. Mm. And and, and, and that that makes you sit with these uncomfortable, troublesome and troubling characters. So, as you say, Tulip is not the perfect victim. She clearly is a victim, and you can really see that easily as an adult. Mm. But that doesn't mean she's always likable or always nice or not abusive herself and yeah. so what do you do with that um yeah. but i read an interview about fine saying that the book the writing for the book was inspired by the murder of jamie bulger yeah um in which two other children um lured away and murdered um this like a younger child and she says obviously the case itself was very disturbing but also the British reaction, the reaction in the press and the public 
um, that these kids were basically tried like adults and there was a lot of yeah. talk about, you know, lock them up and throw away the key and these children were just born evil. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really the theme she's engaging with in the tulip touch, you know, is anyone born evil? And if someone is a victim of their circumstances, well, what do we do with that? Mm-hmm. I, yeah, when I when I read that it was inspired by that case, that sort of made a lot of sense, <laughs> you know, putting it in context. Um, kind of, yeah, it sounds like um, she was saying in that interview that sort of that case and there were some other cases of like violence by children on other children, and it sort of caused a sort of national crisis of kind of you know what is what is happening with our society, sort of thing. And um and her her take is very um very much not the uh it's a few bad apples sort of sort of thing. Um so she says in, in the same interview, she says um I absolutely fail to understand what is so outrageous and so unthinkable about choosing to create a society that can order its priorities, its huge resources and energy so that it can catch people before they fall. I mean, it would make the world safer for everyone. And meanwhile, we wouldn't all have to sit here and watch the boys and their toys. Are we going to send another probe to Mars? Are they going to spend another $90 billion? Who cares what's on Mars? <laughs> <laughs> I really want to say that to Elon Musk. I know. This is before Elon Musk. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> yeah. It's very much, um, I mean... You know, I've I've been I've been uh, reading and thinking a lot about sort of prison abolition and police abolition and uh, sort of ideas of what an abolitionist society is and how you create a society where prisons and police aren't needed, right? And yeah. th- this is this is the kind of I feel like this is very uh, sympathetic to that sort of yeah. take. <laughs> I mean, this is a really angry book. Mm-hmm. Like I think it is an angry indictment of British society. Mm. Um, and I feel like Anne Fine really shares in some of Tulip's anger. It's interesting that the interviewer, I think in that same interview, assumes mm. that she would relate to the protagonist, and she says, no, yeah. I was more of a Tulip growing up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's... I found that really interesting. Um, and the the copy of the book I have here is published in this um, Penguin line young adult line called The Originals. All right. Um, So it's been grouped together. It's interesting. So there's these four different groups, four thinkers, four lovers, four survivors, and four rebels. And it's a classics of young adult literature republished. So, you know, for for lovers, you've got, say, I Capture the Castle by Dodie Smith, um, hmm. Postcards from No Man's Land by Aidan Chambers. For thinkers, you have uh, John Steinbeck's The Red Pony, uh, Dear Nobody by Birdie Doherty. For survivors, you have Zed for Zachariah and Stone Cold by Robert Swindles, which we're going to have to cover hmm. at some point. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then this has been grouped uh, alongside The Outsiders by S.E. Hinton and Steinbeck's The Pearl as Four Rebels. Hmm. And Tulip has been classed as the rebel. Um, it says, rebel, tulip, loner, skills, bizarre games, cause <laughs> to befriend and destroy. <laughs> wow. Uh, and, 
that very much situates Tulip as the anti-hero of this mm. book, and almost as the protagonist, which I, I thought was interesting. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, uh, yeah, we will get to the plot in a moment. <laughs> um, but, um, I mean, it's, yeah, it's such she, an interesting book. Yeah, yeah, it's, it is. It's fascinating. Um, but she she does also comment on the darkness of the book in that interview. <laughs> she says, I, I really do try to be more careful in what I write for children. I've written four adult no- novels and they're uniformly bleak black comedies. I don't bother at all about the effect I have on my adult reader. But I've always tried to be protective of children, and I think Tulip Touch does come close to the edge. I would hope never to write a darker book than that for children. But I think that in a way it says, yes, things are this bad, but you yourself can make the decision both to go forward and make something in your life, and also to hold sympathy and responsibility for the ones that fall. That f- yeah, that fall. I think that is the message of the book. Yeah. Um, um, although <laughs> both... Tulip and our protagonist, our nominally sympathetic protagonist, kind of fails at the second one. And we'll get to the end of the book and the last word yeah. of the book. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Um, now, with, with all that said, I'll, I will I'll, I'll start describe the plot. Um, so our protagonist is Natalie. I think it's about nine years old at the beginning of the story. And her family have just moved to run uh, a big new hotel called the Palace. And soon after they arrive, Natalie meets Tulip, who's standing in a field near the hotel, holding a kitten in her arms. Um, It turns out that Tulip goes to Natalie's school, and so they become friends, uh, which Natalie quickly realises is a position that no one else wants. Um, Uh as Tulip's friend. And, uh, well, Tulip is allowed to come and play at the palace. Uh, Natalie is uh, forbidden from going round to Tulip's house. And when she dissipate, disobeys her parents and does go, she finds it's kind of a cold and dismal house with broken furniture and smash bottles in the garden. Yeah, and... could, I, could I just read mm. a little of that section? Yeah, uh, of I think it's very powerful. Thanks. I hated Tulip's house. It wasn't just that the carpets were stained and the furniture battered. It was that Tulip herself seemed different, just a shell, as if she'd slipped away invisibly and left some strange, strained imitation in her place to say to me, What shall we do now? Or, Want another biscuit? I pushed the packet of damp crumbs aside. I'd have suggested going into her bedroom, but the glimpse of a stained sheet spread over a chair to dry as she kicked close the door and warned me that wouldn't be welcome. Should we go into the yard? I wanted to get out of the kitchen. Tulip's mother was giving me the creeps with her beg-pardon smile and her tireless, tuneless humming, as if in that horrible, smelly, sunless back room she'd completely forgotten a song was supposed to have a melody, let alone a beginning and ending. Hearing that awful, interminable drone was like listening to a robot pretend to be a person. The backyard had clumps of weeds waist high, but there were far too many smashed bottles lying about for us to play most of our creeping games, so in desperation I said, Let's go and find your kitten. She looked at me blankly. Well, I corrected myself, feeling stupid. Cat, by now. We don't have a cat. Sorry, I had to end it a bit abruptly because that wasn't an obvious cut-off point. <laughs> no, that's all right. Um, uh, um, yeah, yeah, that's um, that's a really, yeah, very 
evocative passage. Um, and there's also the sort of the looming figure of um, Tulip's father as well, who's sort of bearing over the house. Um, uh, so you know, Natalie makes her excuses and, and goes um, and doesn't go back. Uh, um, Tulip uh, invents games for the two of them to play, as you've mentioned, with uh, names like Rats in a Firestorm and Road of Bones. Um, and uh, it's said to have the Tulip touch by Natalie's father for inventing sort of strange, plausible details in her outlandish lies. Um, we get an example of that, such as uh, Tulip saying, and then this man went grey and keeled over, and as I was phoning for the ambulance, his fingers kept twitching, and his wedding ring made a, t- a tiny little pinging noise against the metal of the drain. <laughs> um, yeah, and the story is kind of told by an older Natalie, sort of looking back on this time. Um, and at one point she sort of looks at a, at a photo of the two of them uh, back at this time when they were inseparable and says that there's uh, something desolate behind Tulip's smile mm. um, which is a theme we'll come back to um, but uh, yeah, Natalie's mum points out that, that Tulip's games had a, a habit of starting well for two and ending badly for one and usually Natalie is the one who gets in trouble well Tulip gets away with it. Um, although when they uh, start to play a game tormenting Natalie's little brother, Julius, her mum puts a stop to it. But yeah, Tulip, Tulip has a habit of sort of saying strange threats in their games. Like, I'll snatch you bald-headed, or I'll make your eyes look like slits in a grapefruit. Yeah, um, um, <laughs> the, these, these phrases were my mm. um, disquieting textures of the week, actually. Yeah. So uh, I don't know if you want to do a quick a quick jingle at all. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Um, yeah, these uh Yeah, these phrases of uh of tulips. Yeah, I mean, they're really vivid and disturbing. Mm. I'll peel you alive like a banana. Smile at me wrong mm. today and I'll crush you. I'll make your eyes look like slits in a grapefruit. Mm. Yeah. And these are words that Tulips heard from her father first and then uses uh, when talking to Natalie. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, my texture was um was actually the names of the games <laughs> themselves. Um, so, uh, rats in a firestorm, hogs in a tunnel, fat in the fire, malaria, road of bones, days of dumbness, stinking mackerel, all the grey people, along the flaggy shore, fat and loud, guest stalk, wild nights. And we love what some of these are, but some of them are just, <laughs> um, you get no idea, just evocative yeah. words. And, <laughs> you know, you can only imagine what is going on in these games. 
Yeah, we, we hear about the rules for some of these games, like Sticking Mackerel is a game in which you walk past people in the street and then wrinkle your nose as if you smell something disgusting at every person, leading mm-hmm. them to worry that, you know, they're smelling bad. Yeah. But a lot of these are left to our imagination. Yeah. And and as you were kind of already hinting, the games grow more and more cruel and outlandish. Yeah, we we see um, we see Tulip's cruel streak. You know, she gives a she gives a classmate a, a gift wrap box of uh, of dog shit, and um, then sort of smiles in satisfaction when she sees him cry. Um, and she sort of when Natalie injures her leg, she's sort of falling around and laughing as Natalie's being taken to any. Um, and sort of people, it's kind of the parents and the teachers sort of try to separate Natalie from Tulip. And um, the headmistress gives Natalie a, a stern speech about how bad an influence Tulip is and that Natalie will come to no good as Tulip's hold your coat merchant. Um, but at the same time, the there's this sort of dual aspect of it where the kind of, the adults sort of feel a kind of, kind of hands-off pity for Tulip and kind of are sort of glad in a way that Natalie is is sort of playing with her and is you know because it makes them feel a little better like that Tulip has a friend but at the same time they're like oh don't don't you know don't get too involved with that Tulip but also uh you know solve our conscience a bit by yeah by and Natalie feels quite aware of this hypocrisy yeah, by the end of the book, that's Natalie's um, very much <laughs> cottoned on to what what the adults around her are doing. Um, yeah. yeah, so they and as they um, as they get uh, moved from primary to secondary school, they're they're sort of separated more in school, but they start the the games sort of escalate and they start uh, one called. Uh, <laughs> After school, called home or havoc, where instead of going home, they uh, they cause they cause mischief really. Um, but uh, sort of flicking mud pellets at people or putting twigs in the spokes of of prams. Um, and Natalie sort of goes along with this and only kind of stops Tulip when Tulip lifts someone's pet rabbit out of uh, out of its hutch by its ears and and won't put it back. Um, and-, and they start. Yeah, I mean, this is probably, I mean, potentially the most triggering moment in the book, right, in mm. which we get the clearest uh, hint of sexual abuse. Oh, um, did you get that? Oh. Yeah, in that section I got that quite strongly. Mm. Um, in what, what Tulip says says to the rabbit and you know this completely passed me by um being being lucky in that regards as a kid um but you know as an adult this really um so i'll I'll read the section but uh Mm. feel free to skip ahead about two minutes um if you think you don't want to hear that um so Please, I said, give him to me. She grinned unpleasantly. You don't know he's a he. He might be a she. It doesn't matter. You could just let me have a go at cuddling him. 
only if you've guessed right. She upturned the squirming rabbit for no more than a couple of seconds. She's a she, so she's mine. She's not yours, Tulip. She is now. Tulip was crooning in the rabbit's ear. Who's a clever bunny? Who's going to be a good girl? Who's Tulip's special one? She's not going to make a fuss, is she? Oh no, she isn't going to do that because she enjoys it really, doesn't she? And if she starts struggling, she'll get hurt. She finished up so savagely that I knew I was watching something horrible. Nothing to do with the rabbit she was holding, but darker, much darker and hidden and coming from deep inside Tulip. Well, I don't know how I missed that, because um, when you read it, it's... Um... It's a heavy piece of writing. Yeah. Yeah, that's really upsetting. Um... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it really um, made me catch my breath, actually, when, when reading it. Um mm. I mean, I did wonder, like, I really don't know how I missed that, but I did wonder sort of if there was some suggestion of um, like hinting towards that sort of earlier in the book where it's kind of describes Tulip sort of being flirty with Natalie's yeah. dad um, in a way, you know, that kind of suggests a awareness of sexuality sort of beyond yeah. her. Yeah, I mean, her age Anne Fine's kind of a deft thing. writer and a clever mm. writer so there's nothing there that would be inappropriate for children to read per se mm. but yeah if you're yeah I think as an adult reading it that, that really kind of pulled me up short and yeah. it's I I can see why it's there and I think it's powerful and important that it's there um mm. and it, it you know there's the, that that it's not really returned to um outside of giving you a sense that tulip has really suffered and is really suffering and yeah. has been abused in a way that natalie is not really aware of mm that, you know, Natalie kind of goes to her house and thinks, oh, yeah, it's, you know, it's kind of cheap and smelly and, you know, her dad seems mean, but mm. she doesn't really get it. You know, she doesn't get how how bad things are. Yeah. And I don't think we're left to condemn Natalie for that because, you know, her home life's very different to that. Um, mm. But you get the sense that there's a great sense of guilt in this book. It's feels like it's being narrated by Natalie at the distance of some years. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, you wonder if some of these realisations have come to her in the intervening time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's such a clever book because it is operating on so many levels at once. You know, the sort of, yeah the young Natalie and the older Natalie and the young reader and the older reader. Yeah, exactly. And so as a reader, your experience kind of mirrors that of Natalie, I think. Mm. Um, or possibly that of Tulip, you know, depending on your experiences. So it's, because I say in many ways, Tulip is 
kind of the protagonist. So, it, yeah, I, it's a very clever book. Mm. So, yeah, Tulip's uh, games are escalating, um, basically. They, they, start, um, they start a game called Little Visits, where they take it in turns to try and be invited into strangers' houses on various pretexts. And then um, it starts with basically her final game, which is Wild Nights. Um, Natalie says that Tulip's always been fascinated with fire, and um, in Wild Nights she starts setting fires, setting dustbins on fire, and that sort of thing. Um, And it's kind of Natalie's relationship with Tulip's getting more and more ambivalent, and she kind of reflects on it and says that she felt like she needed Tulip, sort of, kind of needed Tulip to be sort of rude and wild and rebellious and kind of live the life that Natalie wouldn't dare, um, even as Tulip is like swearing at her and shouting at her and swinging doors in her face and that's all kind of generally being pretty unbearable. Um, her. There's a scene where um where they where they have an art class together and um they have to paint a self portrait um and uh, the teacher sort of gets Natalie to look at it afterwards and it says everything about it was dark and furious and every inch of it seemed to suck you in and swirl you round making you feel dizzy and anxious. And everywhere you looked, your eyes were drawn back, over and over, to the centre, where out of the blackness, two huge forlorn eyes stared out as usual, half begging, half accusing. And all, the, all that Natalie can say when the teacher tells her to really look at it is, Oh, Mrs Miniver, I'm just so glad I'm not her. <laughs> um. And there's that, yeah, that sense of moment where it's not like a fully understood realisation of Tulip's situation, but mm. yeah, I think that's the moment where Natalie kind of breaks out of just thinking about Tulip in relation to her, and mm. which, you know, which is understandable. Tulip does treat Natalie really badly, so you can mm-hmm. understand why she's going to be thinking about that a lot. Um but that's definitely a moment where she manages to break out of that and kind of see how Tulip's suffering. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then after that, so Tulip hears that uh, a sister of someone at their school drowned and uh, she's talking, uh, she won't stop talking about it to Natalie. She's sort of really excitedly talking about it and Natalie confronts her about the about the kitten that she had on the first day they met and accuses her of drowning it. And Tudor eventually admits that she did, but that she had to, because if she didn't, her father would just put the kittens in a crock of water and leave them to slowly suffocate. Whereas she, if she did it, it would happen fast. <laughs> um, uh, um, yeah. And, Natalie, at about the same time, Natalie overhears the staff talking about Tulip, and one of them comments on Tulip's mother, saying that 
she always gets the feeling that one day she might start screaming and never stop. So, yeah, that's um pretty, pretty dark stuff. Yeah, um, yeah, it, it, yeah it, <laughs> there's some very upsetting parts of this book. Yeah, um, and so we kind of reach like sort of their last wild night where the point that after which Natalie decides to cut off ties with Tulip and on that night Tulip sets fire to a barn um, and they've kind of walked through it to check its empty but sort of Natalie's looking at this blaze and thinking about how easily someone could have been hiding in the just somewhere in, in a corner of the barn and and somehow that sort of breaks the spell and she's kind of out from under Tulip's influence um, and as she separates herself from Tulip she starts to feel more like herself again and sort of feels herself growing out from under this shadow she'd been under she'd been under but sort of as she reflects on it it's kind of in this in this sort of where she's coming more into herself she also grows into more contempt for for tulip um and kind of as she she does better at school and gets more confident but the sort of adults around her start to ask why she's not bringing tulip around anymore and why Tulip didn't get invited to Christmas when it's uh, you know it's Tulip's favorite time of the year, and they're sort of trying to make Natalie feel guilty. But if she suggests that they sort of seek Tulip out for themselves, they fall silent, and it's kind of where she realizes sort of and resents the role that she's been put into, where everyone feels sorry for Tulip, but they wouldn't want to be involved in Tulip's life themselves. Yeah, it's. I mean, obviously, this sort of theme of the hypocrisy of the adult world has cropped up quite a lot on our podcast. But mm. yeah, it feels very pointed here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and after this, Tulip um, has no friends anymore and, and gets wilder. And the police come to the hotel to talk to Natalie, um, telling her that Tulip has been repeatedly going to the to the house of the the girl who drowned and asking if uh, Muriel the drowned girl would like to come out for a walk um and Natalie sort of plays dumb but is kind of secretly in awe like just at the ghoul of, of Tulip's new game even as she knows that it's wrong um and she sort of tries to make the police promise they won't tell Tulip's parents because her father will half murder her and the, the police say that they'll say that they have to, but they'll take it gently because I think we all know about Mr. Pierce's temper, um, which is just sort of another. Yeah, we we kind of this is sort of what we get to at the end of the book, where where Natalie realizes that like the adults around her knew a lot more about Tulip's home life and abuse than they let on. But, you know, 
didn't do anything about it. Um, so, it's, yeah, talking about tulips, tulips home. So she says, and you knew that. You've known it years and years. So that's why you never let me go around there, even at the start. Even back then, I heard you telling Mum it was... I imitated his stern voice. No fit place for a child. Well then, he said rather smugly, I was right. But Tulip was a child, wasn't she? If you were so sure I shouldn't have been there, then Tulip shouldn't have been there either. Natalie, people go, can't go around snatching children and giving them other homes just because their parents are awful. She shouldn't have been left, I said stubbornly. He tried to take my hand. You really mustn't think that nobody tried. I know for a fact we weren't the only ones to make a few warning phone calls. And both schools were always well aware of Tulip's background. The Pierces have had social workers around there time and time and again. So everybody was in it. Everyone knew. So what was the matter? I asked sarcastically. Wasn't it bad enough? He rose to his feet and looked down at me. No, he said evenly, after a moment. It wasn't bad enough. And I'm afraid that life's a bit like that, Natalie. It has to be a whole lot worse than bad to count as unbearable. Until it gets to that point, people are on their own. I was disgusted. Utterly disgusted. Yeah. Mm. And that's sort of the last we properly see of Tulip in the book. Yeah. You know, she she becomes almost cast out to the margins of the book itself. Yeah. Um the last interaction between Tulip and Natalie is where sort of they bump into each other after Natalie's received a sort of academic prize and sort of Tulip tells her to like get out of the way stupid and then Natalie turns their old game of stinking mackerel back on her and sort of looks over Tulip's kind of stained and badly mended clothes and wrinkles her nose and um and then realizes that she's taking it too far but Tulip says right if you know you're playing a game with me, I'm going to play a game with you. And like, and it's I'm going to choose what the next game is. Um, and Natalie is on her guard, sort of waiting for Tulip to spring something on her. But um, Tulip waits until Christmas um, when sort of no one will notice her sort of outside the palace. And she plays her last game of Wild Nights and sets fire to the hotel. Um, and... Yeah, all the guests get out safely, but um, they're all outside watching the uh, the hotel burn to the ground. Um, so they, the family, leave to move to a new hotel, and um, the ending passage. Um, <laughs> Natalie's voice. It says, "People aren't locked doors. You can get through to them if you want." But no one did. No one reached out a hand to Tulip. Nobody tried to touch her. I hear them whispering and they sicken me. Bus seats, grumbles Mrs. Bedell. Locker doors, complain the teachers. Chicken sheds, says the farmers. Greenhouses, dustbins, moan the neighbours. And Mum says, a lovely old hotel. But what about Tulip? I shall feel sorry for Tulip all my life. And guilty too. Guilty. Oh, it gives me shivers. Yeah, yeah, it really does. Um, 
and yeah it's really powerful and I think really interesting bringing in sort of the all the the, the adults sort of complaining about you know vandalism and property damage kind of at the end and <laughs> sort of missing the point of the human being <laughs> yeah and you know the way that last word guilty hangs in the air and mm-hmm. you know what who is guilty and what what does guilt mean in in our society or british society in mm. the late 90s like because you know it's easy to condemn tulip and there are times when maybe she should be condemned mm. but she's already suffering and going to have to suffer a lot more than most of the adults in this book. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, she has already been made to live with the consequences of her behavior. Um, and often, you know, we're given to believe far beyond what she deserves at the hands of her father. Mm. Um, Whereas there's no, obviously there's no real comeuppance for all of the deliberately cast aside at the, de- the neglect and the lack of caring and the hypocrisy mm-hmm. that Natalie's family are able to move to another hotel and change their situation, start again quite happily. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think Anne finds sort of saying, well, what price does this comfort come at? And Mm. does maintaining this comfort mean a lot of deliberately looking the other way and maybe pushing people off the raft or the lifeboat? Mm. you know, it's, it's a very uncomfortable thing to sit with, especially as we've been Natalie, been with Natalie as the narrator through the whole book, and she's sort of confiding in us as the reader on some level. Mm. And so she kind of gets our sympathies, and we kind of maybe find her relatable. Or I think a lot of readers, I, I definitely related more to Natalie than to Tulip as a kid. Mm. Um, and I think that was partly due to my comfort and yeah. due to having a nice home life and yeah I think that kind of bond and maybe our own sense of comfort as a reader is really shaken at the end of that book mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah <laughs> no it is like yeah the the, the, the ringing uh the last word of guilty it's like what are you guilty of you know what how are you guilty how are you complicit in yeah and i think that's why it makes sense to me that you've you know been thinking about prison abolition you know alongside rereading this book mm. right because on some level, it never does it overtly, but you could see this as a kind of pro-prison abolitionist yeah. book. Um, 
because ultimately I think what it's suggesting is that system of punishment and that that system of punishment that obviously was used to resolve in in heavy you know kind of quotation mm. marks the James Bulger case mm. the Jamie Bulger case you know did it really what what did it help what did it solve <laughs> well, yeah um you know and that's just like it's such like such such a stark example of <laughs> you know of uh, yeah of the whole issue and you know the you know the fact that you know it was so horrific and but then it had people calling for the death sentence for 10 year olds you know like yeah and something's gone really wrong if, yeah if that's happening you know that's yeah <laughs> a society is in in a, a very troubling place yeah and it, it's not you know i've read i, I read an article about like the the James Bolger case is pretty. There's not a lot of cases like that at all, but there have been other, you know, children who have murdered other children, and and I think that there was a case somewhere in Scandinavia, it might be Denmark or something, where um there was there was comparable at least in what happened, yeah. and the children in that case were like their names were never made public for a start like they were never yeah. identified and they were uh um given some well they were given some sort of intensive uh treatment <laughs> yeah. sort of rather than a punitive um solution to that because you can't just treat children as adults when it suits when it suits the adult society yeah you know to say okay well this child is no longer a child really Uh because they've transgressed or they're they're of a certain type or you know Mm. that that child doesn't magically become an adult and with an adult brain Uh even if they've done things which are horrible you know, yeah. genuinely horrible. And even if they've done things which we see no child should do or have the idea to do, yeah, they don't. You know, <laughs> their brain development is is still going to be that of a ten year old. Yeah, and you know, yeah, you can't, you can't. However uncomfortable that is, you can't magic it away, and it's yeah. not right or just to do so. And. Yeah, you know, I think that's... Yeah, Tulip does some really awful things. Mm. You know, she does. You know, you, you your sympathies are tested, but she doesn't magically become anything other than a child who's being horribly abused. Yeah. Yeah. And also, you know... Real justice, and you know, it needn't be about whether you like someone. You know, <laughs> you don't have to like Tulip. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No. 
Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's not the point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you don't have to think she's she's a lovely person to think that she shouldn't be punished for the rest of her life without remission. Yeah. Yeah, exactly that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but it's interesting that these themes do come into play in a different way, and probably not as interesting as progressive a way in The Devil Walks. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I, I, I don't think you did that on purpose, choosing this book. <laughs> I absolutely didn't. I looked yeah. through other Anne Fine books, and it seemed like one of the most obvious horror picks. Yeah. Because <laughs> it, it is a gothic horror. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, it's, uh, but it's certainly interesting that um, it sort of ends up kind of touching on the same themes, but sort of uh, not uh, not going there really at all. In the <laughs> in a... yeah, so the 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 character in the Devil Walks who. Uh, was an evil child, yeah. grows up to be an evil man, really does seem like he's a bad seed. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, so the, yeah, The Devil Works is a much more straightforward kind of book. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's generally, genuinely creepy and a good uh, gothic horror story, but it, it does sort of seem like it's kind of actively avoiding engaging with the, the question that's at the the heart the tulip touch oh uh, yeah, um, yeah yeah like it's very <laughs> beholden to the uh restrictions of that genre uh-huh. and i'm sure there are lots of you know really progressive and interesting you know gothic novels <laughs> right and obviously so like frankenstein has its really progressive interesting elements for the time for instance it's, it's not like yeah. the gothic novel is inherently not given to philosophically questioning things yeah but <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it 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 very much. Yeah, it's it's a bit of a pot boiler, albeit a really enjoyable one. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I'll just read. Um, this is a kind of got from a Guardian review of the book. Um, just a synopsis from from when it was released. Um, in twenty eleven. Um, which. As a warning, does have some um, not good language about mental illness uh, in it in this review, but we can talk about that. But um, yeah, it says um, Daniel Cunningham's childhood has been stolen by his mother. Although he isn't ill, she has raised lowered might be a better word him as a, a bedridden invalid, denied all society other than her own, pallid, friendless, deprived of experience. He is like a character in a Paul Auster novel, almost without identity. Indeed, his name isn't really Cunningham. He is a blank page upon which anything might be written. Then in early adolescence, he is rescued suddenly and unwillingly by the life-affirming Dr. Marlowe and embraced by his lively family. Apparently shocked into insanity by this benign kidnapping of her son, Liliana Cunningham hangs herself in the local asylum. There is little for Daniel to inherit other than a very large, exquisitely made doll's house, a fastidious scale model of the great house in which Liliana grew up. This doll's house is the engine of the story. It is also its driving metaphor, for this plaything has a hidden and evil inhabitant. By publishing a drawing of the model, Marlowe discovers that its original is Highgate's in Sussex, and that Daniel has a surviving relative, Uncle Jack, who still lives there. 
With the best of intentions, the Doctor dispatches Daniel to the Downs to be reunited with his uncle. Unfortunately, Captain Jack Seven is a schizoid psychopath and a serial murderer, and his nephew will be his next victim once he has surrendered the thing that the Captain most desires. Uh, oh, there are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah, that's uh, hmm. uh, this reviewer is just sort of deciding to uh, diagnose the Captain Jack character based on his behaviour in the text. We don't actually get anything as uh, as blunt as that in the novel. Um, no, no, <laughs> um, and. I don't think it's a deeply psychological novel. Sorry? I don't think it's a deeply psychological novel. No. <laughs> Not really. Um, no. Like, I don't think... It's really interesting, right? Because one thing our, um, our protagonist does enjoy about his childhood, um, which is obviously really deprived, that mm. he talks about reading and how much he loves adventure stories. Mm-hmm. And... This book is totally like an Edwardian adventure story. Like, if it reminded me of anything, um, it was Treasure Island. Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And I I really liked Treasure Island as a kid. Um, I I would have enjoyed this too as a kid. And, yeah, um, the captain is like Long John Silver, basically. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You know, um, yeah, he's utterly ruthless. Um, he's got a bit of charm about him. He's a kind of mercurial figure who mm-hmm. is quite exciting. Um, but yeah, he's really a cackling villain. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I don't think. I think we are meant to enjoy him as that, enjoy him as a pantomime villain. Yeah. Um, you know, it's. This story is set in a kind of unspecified, vaguely Edwardian <laughs> past. Uh-huh. Um, oh, you can imagine him played by um, Tim Curry, can't you? Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, this is a genre book. Um, and, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, it's it's very much a kind of love letter, I think, to Treasure Island and to those kind of children's adventure classics. Um, yeah. And, yeah, yeah, I really enjoyed it. You know, it, it's not yeah. going to stay with me whatsoever in the way that the Tulip Touch did. Yeah. Um, but it's an enjoyable romp with some nasty yeah. bits in it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. It's, <laughs> it's, it's a very good, uh, yeah, gothic horror for kids. Um, yeah. Yeah, some similarities with Rebecca too, I'd say. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. Um, <laughs> um, so it, it does, it does feel, uh, it does feel a tad unfair to, uh, <laughs> to c- compare it to a tube touch because, they're, they're not they're not going for the same thing <laughs> although and this is a bit of a spoiler though not really because you kind of know mm. where <laughs> the devil walks is heading um, <laughs> what is really interesting is that they both end on a fire and the fire of the the central kind of house or manor or mm-hmm. hotel in the case of the Tudor touch being burnt to the ground yeah right and what's really interesting is that in the tulip touch this is kind of a howl of pain and anger from mm-hmm. Tulip that doesn't really hit the mark, right? It doesn't really provide any catharsis, not for Tulip or anyone else. Tulip's just destroyed the only place she's ever loved, as the narrator yeah. points out. 
and the family who on some level she wants to hurt because she feels abandoned and let down um, mm. which on some level is fair you know she was allowed there mm. every Christmas and it was probably the highlight of her life and mm-hmm. she no longer gets to go and you know her once best friend is looking at her with abject disgust mm-hmm. and so she burns down the hotel and they move and take on another hotel. Yeah, and a nicer, more, more uh, up-to-date one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and they're, they're, they're fine. The mother grumbles a bit, but actually, yeah. father and brother yeah. are like, yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so, so there, doesn't, there is no catharsis here. Like, it's, mm. you know, I say it's, it's a howl of, you know, empty rage, really. That doesn't mm-hmm. achieve anything, which is why it's really sad, you know. That 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 yeah, the arson, you know, it burns bright in this this moment, and then you know it's nothing. <laughs> um, <laughs> where, whereas in the Devil Walks, the fire is a cleansing moment. The fire is cathartic. Mm. Burning down the mansion is this satisfying cathartic end to the novel. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And our protagonist will quite justly move on to a happy life because he's a thoroughly decent soul. Mm-hmm. And, you know, his antagonist, you know, I guess kind of the tulip grown up of the novel is a thoroughly nasty sort and his, his dead body is engulfed in the flames and well, that's the end of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Great job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, that, that, that's fine. I wouldn't take The Devil Walks as a sort of sociological textbook, you know, like... <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, um... <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's it's not. It's just sort of funny how it <laughs> kind of, sort of accidentally kind of uh, provides a complete counterpoint. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm kind of glad we... <laughs> sort of accidentally paired them because it yeah <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah um uh, but I, i'd recommend them both i mean basically the, mm. the devil walks if you're in if you're in the mood for you know a really sharply written um very genre beholden piece mm. of kind of gothic adventure lit yeah yeah um, <laughs> You know, yeah, maybe some problematic elements, but I don't think anything that's going to really upset people, to be honest. Like, yeah, <laughs> you, you know, um, it's uh, schlocky. <laughs> yeah, it's schlocky, but good schlock. Um, yeah. <laughs> the tulip touch, if you want something which will stay with you, but is genuinely a hard read and uh-huh. sometimes a very upsetting read. Um, yeah. I think, you know, a, a really brilliant and impressive piece of work. Um, but, you know, be warned, it is a hard read. Either, even, you know, I, I, I'd put it alongside many adult novels as a hard read. Mm-hmm. In terms, in ter- not of difficulty reading, um, but in terms of how, how difficult the issues raised yeah. are and, and the lack what of... What it asks you as a reader to yeah, yeah, think about. It, and... it asks you some tough things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Any any final thoughts? Um 
I don't know. I did want to give a nice little shout out to a screaming peacock in the Tudor Touch. Gotta love a, a screaming peacock for a oh yeah. setting a yeah. tone of unease. <laughs> so I, I thought that was like a Twitter username. Oh, <laughs> shout out to screaming peacock. <laughs> yeah, uh, would be a good Twitter username. No, um, or just a, a Twitter bot that just screams. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do we still have like people on Twitter and stuff? I haven't, you know, since since I abandoned all social media at the start of the first lockdown, I've been quite strict with myself. <laughs> so, do, do we still have followers um, and stuff? We still have some followers. But I haven't had any uh, particular interactions recently, but I think they're still there. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, um, yeah. You know, give it, give us a review. Um, yeah, you know, we're needy people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, thank, thank you for people who are, who are listening to our extremely sporadic output. We appreciate. Yeah, it. yeah. No, um, thank you for those who, who bear with us. Um, you know, I hope you have fun. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and uh, yeah, we uh, we do um, uh, we do appreciate suggestions as well. Um, we were we were going to do Moondale, um, and we will we will do it at some point. It just uh, as soon as we decided to do it, it uh, became unavailable on uh, on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, I think we're both so, a bit cat cash strapped. So. Yeah, yeah, we're like twelve ninety nine for the DVD. I don't know about that. So uh, <laughs> yeah, we, <laughs> we will come back to it. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, <laughs> but uh, the uh, I got I got the Devil Walks for uh, for one ninety nine, including postage, Adam. Yeah. Oh, that's so, great. So that was I pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, recommendations are, are appreciated. Um, and yeah, and you can um, you can contact us on our Twitter, which is uh. At Still Scared Pod, I say us. It's just me because Adam Adam uh, left Twitter. Probably a good idea for. Um... I, I I think I think it made made the last year and a half more bearable. To be honest, yeah. <laughs> it's good. It's good. I, yeah, I I think that's uh, it's pretty very sensible. Um, yeah, I think so, so, you know I, I I'm not completely averse to self care and. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, you can also email us at stillscaredpodcast at gmail dot com. Um, um, uh, uh, theme music. Hmm? Yeah, oh, theme, music. theme music by Maki Yamazaki. Intro music, uh, outro music by Joe Kelly. Both very talented musicians, and um, put links to their stuff in the show notes and. Our artwork by the very talented artist Letty Wilson, who um, who is great, and you should commission to do like creepy artwork, like if you know you want like a creepy character or something. Like I can't recommend a better artist than Letty for drawing you a monster or something. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's that's everything. Um, do, do you have a sign off for us, Adam? Um, 
I don't want... Well, okay, so I was thinking of using some of Tulip's threats as a sign-off, but I kind of feel like... I don't know, they're quite quite nasty, to be honest. I don't want to just outright threaten our listeners. <laughs> yeah. Um, don't... I, I, I know what I'll say, because if you do read the Tulip Touch, don't commit any arson. So uh, no, no going and setting fires, creepy kids. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, don't don't commit arson, creepy kids. Just you know, maybe just like have have a candle and like dip your fingers in the wax. That's quite satisfying. Yeah, it is. Be be chill. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Thanks for listening. I'll thanks. see you next time. <laughs> Bye. Bye.